We're going to open our scriptures here to 46th Psalm, Psalm 46. This is not the sermon that I intended to preach this morning. (laughs) It has obviously been a crazy sort of mixed up week. I, we were in Missouri, of course, all week, and we didn't turn on the television um, at all except to watch one movie, and so I didn't, hadn't really watched any news until about Thursday afternoon or whatever, Thursday morning maybe it was, and, and I started hearing rumblings of that something was going on out there in the broader world outside of rural southeast Missouri, and um, then uh, we had deacon discussion going on by email and so forth, and uh, just Obviously, a very crazy week for y'all. I know a number of you are going to be doing different things this week. Some are going to be working from home. Schools are canceled. Uh, we went to Walmart. I, I thought, you know, we were talking about what to do this Sunday. And I said, well, maybe, you know, maybe we could have some of that hand sanitizer stuff in the lobby back there so you know, people could do their hands before they come in. And uh, so, but then I started looking on the news and found there was no hand sanitizer within 100 miles of Houston, basically. Uh, all the stores are empty, and, and then toilet paper, which I still don't quite understand, and, and other stuff going out of the stores. And, and uh, so I thought, well, no problem. I'll just pick up some here in Missouri. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Pick up some and come down to, you know, bring it down there. We'll put it in the lobby. And so on the way home, we stopped at Walmart. And I went inside, and I went to the, first, like, you know, I'm never a shopper, so I had to wander around for five minutes. Finally found somebody to tell me where the hand sanitizer would have been, except all there were were empty shelves. I mean, this is literally in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you don't understand. My brother used to live in a town of 200 people, and it was too big for him. So they moved out in the country. Now they're 30 minutes away from the Walmart. And so we went to Walmart, nothing there. The lady said, yeah, we got a shipload, a stock load in this, uh, yesterday or this morning or something. And she said, it's all gone within a matter of a few minutes. You know, people came in and got armloads of, uh, of this hand sanitizer stuff. So I gave up on that. And, uh, and uh, of course, the, we know that the president went on TV, I guess it was yesterday, and declared the uh, state of emergency if you've been, if you are, have any money in like 401ks or um, IRAs or that sort of thing, you probably have just not been wanting to look right now. We know Thursday was, I think, one of the worst days on Wall Street, I guess, since 1987, I heard, uh, which is pretty bad because there was like 9-11 since then and, you know, 2008 and the whole downturn of the economy then. So I know a lot of people are are hurting in, in that way if they, if they need to liquidate those assets at this time. And just, it's a, there's a lot of turmoil, and I think as much as anything, people just have this feeling, this sense of unease, that, that life is upside down and everything's kind of topsy-turvy. And, um, and, and it just reminded me again of this text, and it was a blessing to go and, and uh, reflect again on the 40 sixth psalm. Um, It was in the midst of another great time of turmoil um, nationally and internationally during the period of the the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, that Martin Luther took refuge in this psalm. And he would say to his co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, he said, let us 
sing the 46th Psalm and then let the devil do his worst. You know, this is kind of a, an anchor that Christians have come to again and again in times of turmoil and uncertainty. And uh, it's appropriate, I think, for us to take some time this morning to reflect on it. Psalm 46. Let's just read the beginning of the first three verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There are times like this, of tremendous turmoil that happen occasionally, nationally, globally even. The chaos that we see across the globe today is one such time. But also there are times personally when our lives are like this, right? When it's like the mountains are, you know, you look up, wake up and every day you look out the door and you see that same, those same mountain peaks and now the there's the, the ground beneath you is shaking and the mountains are quaking and falling into the sea and there are landslides and the sea is full of, of turmoil and washing over onto the land. It's like all of creation. Remember how in the beginning God said, let the land rise up out of the sea and, and let there be dry land. It's almost like creation itself is being deconstructed and, and, and decreated. Uh, by all of the turmoil, and sometimes we f- we certainly feel like that globally and, and nationally, but sometimes we feel like that personally, even though the people around us might might not know it or might not be aware, but inside our our hearts and inside our minds and inside our little world, I mean everything is just completely turned upside down, and it may happen for you when that baby that you longed for and waited for and prayed for miscarries. Or the doctor comes and confirms that the biopsy is in fact malignant. Or your spouse turns and hurts you or betrays you in some deep and unexpected way. Or your child goes astray in some way that was unimaginable a week ago. Or your boss comes to you out of the blue and says that the company can no longer afford to employ you. When your world is thrown into confusion and chaos and the earth seems to give way and everything that was solid beneath your feet seems now to be shaking and the waters around you roar and rage what once was so stable, what once you took for granted, is now a huge question mark. This is a psalm for times like that. When all is uncertain in the world, what remains? And the answer is, God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in trouble. When all else shakes and when everything else quakes and when people are quaking in fear, what remains the same? God. 
God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Hope is not in ourselves in these times, or in fact in any time. Our hope is completely outside of ourselves. Our hope is in God. Now you may be timid. You may be weak. You may be without any foreseeable path forward. You may be uncertain. But not so for your God. You have a God who has stood the ages who was there before the foundation of the world, who spoke everything into existence, who speaks and it is so, who is your God. This God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No turmoil will shake Him from His eternal purposes. They are fixed, as fixed as the stars in heaven, that you can... You can predict where they will be at any given time. This is God whose purposes and whose character never changes. People around you will change. The whims of people will set your head reeling sometimes. The twists and the turns in in some political candidate will make you question why you ever voted for him in the first place. The uncertainty in the marketplace, in the job place, in, in the economy will uh, could, could bring disruptions like we can't even imagine now. Who knows what tomorrow will bring, but one thing we know is that our God, His purposes and His character will be ever the same. He, there is no shadow of turning with Him. There is no changing, shifting shadows. He is fixed in His purpose for you. If you are His child, He set His love upon you before the foundation of the world. He wor- orchestrated all of the atoms of the entire universe to work in the way that they work so that you would be brought to Him, that you would become His, that His sanctification will be at work in you, and that you will ultimately be brought to glory. Nothing can stay His hand. Nothing can change His purposes. We have, in the times of uncertainty and turmoil, we have an anchor that is always the same, a refuge and a strength that is not within us, but is outside of us. Our hope is not in the medical system and the medical community that we have, though we ought to thank God that we live in a day where we do. For the medicines, for the knowledge that we have, I will tell you this, as of somebody who's been around a lot of doctors through the years, doctors are lifted up on such a high pedestal as if they are almost gods themselves. Right? I don't know of any other profession in America that's probably viewed more highly than doctors. You just say the name doctor, and it's like there's an aura of reverence that comes across the room. Doctor so-and-so will now tell us and I'll tell you, I'm thankful for doctors, but doctors are not omniscient, and our hope is not in the medical community. Our ultimate hope is not in American military might. Strong as it may be, no military power on earth is omnipotent, but one, and that is the Lord of hosts. Angelic might that you know nothing of. He is omnipotent. 
Our hope is not in the economy. Strong as it may seem at times, you know, we look at how coronavirus has disrupted the economy as much as it has. And that just seems like a little blip on the radar. Can you imagine if something really big came? Now, I hope that I've made wise investments through the years. But I will tell you this, my hope and my confidence is not in the economy. It's not in the stock market. It's not in Apple or Microsoft or any of those big companies. But it's in the God of heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and brings all things under the feet of His Son so that His Son may be preeminent in all things and then He gives His Son to His people for their eternal good. That's where our hope lies. Our hope lies in the One whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom, one that endures from generation to generation as earthly kingdoms come and go. Millennia after millennia, He rules and reigns on His throne, working out the history of the universe to its predetermined end. That's our God. Our God is the one who counts all of the inhabitants of the earth as nothing in His sight. He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He works out His sovereign purposes, and none can stay His hand or say, what have you done? This is your God. This is your refuge and your strength. I want you to see, secondly, the personal character of God's help. The personal character of His help. For the psalm begins this way, the Lord God is our refuge. He's our refuge and our strength. That is, He is the strength of His people. He is the refuge for Israel. He doesn't give His strength and His salvation to Ammon or Philistia or Moab or Egypt. Why? Because they're not His people. They don't trust in Him. They have not apprehended Him through faith. They do not come to Him through the sacrifices that He has ordained by which men come to Him. I want to tell you this morning that He is our refuge and strength if, in fact, you are one of His people. One of those whose faith is in Him. One of those who approaches Him through the sacrifice made in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One who lays hold of the throne of grace through Jesus Christ alone. One who recognizes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners and has renounced yourself, your sin, your, your independence and put your hope and your dependence and your identity all in, in Christ. If you are one of those people, you may say as well, the Lord is my refuge and my strength. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. He is a shepherd. He is a refuge. He is a strength. But peace comes not simply by who God is, but by who God is to us. Is He your refuge? 
Is He your strength? Is He your hope? Is He your confidence? Is He your Lord and God and Savior? This is a personal nature, the nature of God's help. It it has a personal character to it. And thirdly, I want you to notice that the nature of His help, the nature of God's help, He is, as our text says, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. In trouble, He is a help. He hasn't promised to always get us out of trouble, but rather to help us in it and through it, to be present with us in the trouble rather than snatching us out of the trouble all the time because He sovereignly ordains to use all things, every event that's ever happened in the history of the universe, including all of the bad ones, to bring about good for His people, to bring about ultimate good in their lives, their sanctification and bringing them to glory. I don't know. You ask me, how does God do that? How does He know how to work out all of the events of history and the way that they interplay with other events, big things, big like national things and little things like whether I choose to turn right or turn left? How does He work all of that out to bring about His perfect ends? And I just say, the answer is God. He's just God. He's sovereign. He has set all things in motion for the good of those who are the called, those who love Him and trust Him. He says that. He works everything out for their good. Not in generally, not in general for the good of the world, but for their good. And He uses trouble to bring His good purposes about. Uh, we were listening, I think it was last night, to uh, one of those Ask Pastor John things. That's not me. Uh, another another John guy out there. And uh, there, he read a letter. There was a letter read on the broadcast from uh, a Christian in Southeast Asia. And they were asking about how to make sense of the coronavirus and uh, how the, a number of pastors were presenting it in different ways. Right, some that it's a judgment of God, and some that it's you know all different kind of explanations for what it's what what God is doing, why the coronavirus, including some who said Christians are going to be okay. No Christians will get the coronavirus because they love and trust God, and God will take care of them. Right, but the Psalm here teaches us that God keeps His people; He's a refuge for them in their trials, in their troubles, in their turmoil. The ground shakes beneath their feet, but they find that their citizenship is not on earth, but in heaven. And heaven, in heaven there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so, in their souls they take refuge there, in the sovereign God of the universe, even while their lives are quaking and their situation is hard and they weep and they cry and they pray. Yesterday, uh, Alex sent me a little uh, link or a picture from uh, a news article about Jim Baker. You guys remember Jim Baker? This was back in the 80s. I think it was the 80s. It was a big deal. He was on Praise the Lord and the, the, you know, the, 
the religious station on TV. He ended up going to jail uh, for fraud. I think he had affair, an affair or affairs or something like that. And basically discredited. Well, yesterday found out that the, uh, the state of Missouri is suing him because he's, he has, by the way, he's back. Did you know he's back? He has his own sh show again, which just goes to say something. I don't know. Any, anybody can get a show um, on a religious station if you're a, if you're a, a, a charismatic enough person. But, but on his show, he was hawking, apparently, um, 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 a cure for coronavirus. And so now he's being sued for uh, false claims. You know, Christians a lot of times want to believe this idea that God will make it so that we're, we don't have troubles like the rest of the world. God will deliver us, uh, snatch us out of those things. No, you, you read the Bible, the history of God's working amongst us is very clear. God lets His children go through those things, but in them... In them, He is a refuge for them. He is a strength for them. He is a bulwark in their soul that cannot be breached. No, He lets us go through those troubles, but He is in them with us. Notice the text says that He is a very present help. He is near. He is with us. One thing... It's one thing to, to be in trouble and know that help is on the way, but the thing that is, brings our soul's anxiety is when that help will come. I remember when I was a kid breaking my leg and having to go to the hospital, and they said, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have any um, clearance to treat you at all. Uh, for pain or set your leg or anything. We're going to have to wait for your parents to get here. And that was like the longest, however long it was, it felt like an hour or two in my life, waiting, sitting there in the hallway on a stretcher, waiting for my parents to come. I remember when, uh, after we'd had Hannah, our first, um, that my wife, with all the changes going on in her body, had a seizure in the hospital. Actually, while I was on the phone with her, I was talking with her, and she began to just black out and have a seizure there in the hospital. And uh, I knew what was happening, and I was here leaving the old church on my way down I-45. I, I confess I did break the speed limit trying to get to her, calling while trying to call the hospital to say, hey, would you go down to my wife's room and check on her? She's having a seizure. I want you to know. And uh, or, or when our, our, our young daughter, it was, it was about... Um, when our second child, I think, was born, David, that Hannah was in a car accident, and she was taken in a hospital down to another hospital. My wife had had some complications as well, so my wife was a patient. Our daughter, who had just, our son, who had just been born, was a patient in the NICU, and our daughter was being taken to a different hospital on an ambulance, and I was the fourth one in the family, and just trying to be everywhere at once and knowing how to take care. We, we, want, we want to be everywhere. We want to help, but but we're so limited in what we can do. But here is a God, here is your God, your God, who is able to be present with you in every situation. I mean, yours and yours and yours and yours and His and hers. All of His people all around the world, all of the interworkings of, of everything that's going on with you present in that moment to sustain you, to help you, to encourage you, to rebuke you, to teach you. He is a very present help. 
in our time of need. I will never leave you, he says, nor forsake you. Sometimes he ordains that you go into the fiery furnace, but he is there, that fourth man walking with you. He is not far from you. You do not have to ascend up into heaven to bring Him down to you or descend down into the earth to bring Him up to you. The Word is near to you. It's in your heart. You don't have to say to yourself, I can't handle this. I don't, it's too hard. I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do. Your helper lives within you to convict and comfort and to remind you of the life-giving Word of God and even to pray through you and with you and for you when you don't know what to pray for as you ought. And He prays for the will of God. And God hears and God answers and God does His will and the will of God is worked out in you because of that indwelling Spirit of God. He is a very present help in time of need for His children. There is actually another way to understand that terminology of very present help. Uh, If you have an ESV, it has a little footnote. It gives you just an alternate translation. It could be a well-proved help, a proven or trustworthy or reliable help. And isn't He that? He has proven Himself. He has been proven just by His Word, but also in the the providence that He has exhibited for the good of His people throughout the history of the universe. God has worked all things for the good of His people. And you who are the Lord's, have you not found Him to be sufficient for you? In the past? Have you not found that He's faithful? Have you ever run to Him and He said, no, go away, I'm too busy. Turn away, my child, I'm not, I will not hear you now. Go find your own help. Go make your own way. Has He not sanctified your afflictions for your good? He is a very present help and well-proved. We sing sometimes, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, blessed Jesus, oh, for grace to trust You more. And with such a God, with such a God, we may say, with the psalmist in verse 2, Therefore, we will not, what? Therefore, we will not fear. Christians should always be characterized by wisdom and prudence. Even today, we have curtailed some of our activities. But Christians should never be moved by Spurgeon said, there may be an earthquake in this chapter, but there's no heartquake. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are, as Christians, often perplexed, but never driven to despair. In one sense, we have our fears, 
And sometimes because our, our vision of God isn't big enough. But in the most foundational sense, Christians cast away fear because they are confident in who their God is. Take your fears to the Lord. You have them. Maybe, maybe not about coronavirus, I don't know, but about whatever it is that, that's causing your world to be turned upside down right now. Cast them upon Him. The faithful one who is your refuge and your strength. Leave them with Him. Rest in Him. Believe His promises. Trust Him and hope in Him. We will not fear After this little introduction to this song, this psalm, this ancient page out of Israel's hymn book, then there's a musical interlude. It's probably what that selah is. You see those different places in the Bible. Probably just some sort of pause or interlude or time for reflection or like we would, you know, sometimes we sing a verse that's full of good theology and then we sing the chorus to sort of pause and and reflect and rejoice in what we've just read. So there's this little musical interlude of sorts. And then there are two stanzas in this ancient song. Um, and each of them end with the same refrain. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verses 7 and 11. The second stanza that ends with verse 7. In that second stanza, we rest in God's help in the present. And in the third stanza, we hope in God's help for the future. Let's look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then the second stanza. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And again the refrain, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We see in the second stanza, which runs from verses 4 to 7, that we can rest in God's help in the present turmoil. We can rest in God's help in the present. There are two great cities, as it were. There is the city of man and there is the city of God, right? There are the kingdoms and the nations of men and there is the kingdom of God. And out there in the world, he says, the mountains are moved and cast into the sea. But he says, in the kingdom of God, in the city of God, I shall not be moved. He says, out there in the world, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. They're like a sea foaming and, and roaring, verse 3. But then the city of God is fed by streams of living water. 
springing up within our midst. Picture an ancient city, an ancient walled city. You know, imagine what is in your mind for like Jericho or something like that. Jerusalem with its big walls that some of which still stand today. Picture an ancient walled city. The walls were her great defense. That was, that was the people's refuge. That was their strength. That was their boast. They would boast in the might of their city and the strength of their walls. That's what gave them confidence when all of the enemies came and brought war against them. They could hole up in their fortress and they would be protected, right? Those ancient cities had two very important things. When the enemy comes and begins to lay siege, when the nations broil, roil and, 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 and roll in and, and, and inundate the, the country, the, you hold up in your city and two things were really important. One, food. So they would build huge granaries and other things to store food. And secondly would be what? Water. And so many of these ancient cities were built surrounding, the walls were built surrounding springs that came up or uh, a river and they would, they would enclose part of the river or, or channel part of the river to come into the, uh, into the, uh, the city. In some cases, and I visited Israel back in 2007 or 8 or something, and, and a couple of these, two or three of these ancient cities, they had literally, because the cities were not near, near enough to the water, they dug uh, tunnels straight through solid rock, you know, guys with just pickaxes working sometimes at both ends to meet and, and digging tunnels through solid rock so that they connect, connect the city to its source of water because that's your life. You've got to have water in order to have life. And if you are holed up in that city, uh, but you've got your, your food and water, then you can stand on the battlements all day long and mock your enemies. Say, go home. We're safe. We don't, we don't need anything from outside. We've got everything we need right here. And that's the picture that the psalmist paints of the city of God. This God who is our refuge, who's our strength, a city surrounded by walls with this secret source within her, in her belly, in her heart, this source of water that brings life, this life-giving water this nourishment within them that the world outside knows nothing about. When the world looks at a Christian who has every reason to be angry and bitter and fearful, who is yet at peace with God, who is resting on the promises of God, when the world looks at a Christian like that, who is a Christian who's sunk his roots deep in the river of living water and his leaves flourish 24-7, 12 months out of the year, he's flourishing and blooming and bearing fruit. I mean, in the hot, dry, stinking summer when everything's gone and in the fall and in the spring, I mean, all year around when the armies come and the armies go, when things are good and things are bad, when he's afflicted, he's still... Confident in his God. And the world looks at that, and you know what the world does? It says, why, can, why are you like that when everything is going wrong for you? We want to be so rooted 
by the streams of living water within us that the world will ask us a reason for the hope that is within us. We have a peace that passes understanding, humanly speaking. Remember in Acts chapter 6 when Paul and, uh, I'm sorry, Peter and and, uh, James, I believe, were threatened uh, never to speak again in the name of that one, the Lord Jesus. They were bold. They were yet bold. Even though their very lives were threatened, they had a confidence, a quiet confidence that in the God who was their refuge. And the Bible says that people took notice of them that they had been with Jesus. They had that source of life uh, that they were connected to that the rest of the world knows nothing about. I remember a while back hearing Alistair Begg tell about a note that he had received at a conference that he was speaking at. And somebody in the conference said, um, gave him this note and, and told about a friend who had been suffering with brain cancer. And he'd been in the hospital for many weeks. And he'd had to undergo chemo. And all, you know, if you have somebody that's been through that, you know all of the horrific, you know, uh, trial that that is. And he was in the hospital and, and the nurse... Uh, who was attending him, you know how they have to write up those charts. And, and one of the notes that she wrote on the chart was that patient is inappropriately joyful. And that's what we all want to be, amen? Inappropriately joyful. I mean, there's no reason for it. There's no human explanation for it. It's just almost inappropriate that he's joyful in that situation because there is, we're, we're citizens of a city that's not shaken. Even though all of the earthly cities are shaken. We have roots in heaven. We have streams of living water within us. We have a secret source of nourishment and hope and joy. We have a communion with the God of heaven that is within us. On the rock of ages founded. What can shake our sure repose? With salvation's walls surround us, surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. See the springs of living water springing from eternal love. Well they supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst? to assuage grace, which like the Lord the giver never fails from age to age. Whatever is going on around you in your life right now will come your way. Brothers and sisters, drink deeply from the water of life. Commune with your God. Reflect on His words. Walk with Him in prayer. And rejoice in His unchanging character and His perfect plan. There is a river that feeds the people of God. And like the river flowing out of God's habitation in Ezekiel, it just gets deeper and richer and sweeter 
bringing life to all who partake. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as He promised, perfect peace and rest. Our outer man is perishing, but our inner man is growing stronger, more confident, more assured, more delighted in God as the years go by until finally our bodies fade away and our spirit takes the next step into the very presence of the one that we have seen all our lives with eyes of faith. That's the way God intends for you. And lastly, I want you to notice this second stanza, verses 8 through 11. That is not simply our hope in the present, but our confidence in God's help, God's strength, and God's salvation in the future. Verses 8 through 11, he says, Look how God has brought desolations on the earth. What has God brought desolations on? You know what God has destroyed? War. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. There's no more war. As far as you can go around the globe, there are no wars going on. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariot with fire. When is that? (laughs) Well, I don't think it's yet. At least not fully, not consummately. You go around the world and there's still fear and there's still... Anxiety, and there's still war, and there's still genocide, and there's still murder, and still sex trafficking, and still theft, and still oppression of all kinds. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's disease. There's death. 160,000 people infected with coronavirus, and 6,000 deaths worldwide. No, not yet, but this is not the end. And there is an end that is established. I mean, it is preordained by God so that where we are right now is somehow on a trajectory to get there. And I don't know all of the ups and downs and, and how that's going to work out, but I do know this. That's where we're headed. He, sa- he says it like it's a done thing. The Bible says that God will do this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things are passed away. Even the curse is lifted off this old world. This psalm speaks of all of that as if it's already done. Notice it, notice it verse 8. He says, come and see how the Lord is has destroyed all warfare from the world. Verse 9, come and see the desolation. He has brought them. And you say, when? How how can he speak of it as if it's already happened? And that's because 
Christians see the future as if it's already present because of their confidence in the certainty of God's plans. That God is not planning things in response to what's happening in the world. God is not adjusting His eternal plan as people make their choices and things happen. And, 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 and if God is not sovereign, friends, then I don't have this hope. But because He is, I have a confidence to speak of things yet to come as if they're already realities for me. And this is the way the psalmist writes. Look what God has done. He's caused warfare to cease all over the world as if it has already happened. Though yet we wait for it. The Bible says, for in this hope we were, in this hope, We were saved. Now hope that is seen is not yet hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with endurance and patience because we know it's certain it will come to pass. A Christian has a hope not merely in this life, but also in the life to come. One of our greatest temptations is to worry. And one of our greatest worries is this. Two little words. What if... Dot, dot, dot. And then you just start filling in the blanks. What if... Think about the what ifs in your own times of turmoil. The what ifs on a national scale. The what ifs on an international scale. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? And we ask ourselves all of these things because we can't see into the future except... We can see this. We can see what God has revealed. And the Bible says this is the end that God has determined. This is the end to which we're headed. And there is no changing that. For what God decides, He does. And for that reason, we can have confidence. We can hope as if it's already done. You know the passage I just quoted where he says, uh, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things have passed away, all things have become new. And one of the next things the Lord says is, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he says, it is done. As if all of that's already completely ours. And it is. Even though... It's not yet because of the purposes of God. And here's, what you, here's how you know, because the very next thing out of God's mouth is this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I tell what is going to happen from long before it does so that you may have confidence. We can know the future. All of those what-ifs, they have an answer. Maybe not immediate answers that we want to see. That we don't know the ups and downs and the twists and turns that are going to get us there. But we know generally through the trajectory of history, we know where it's going to end up. And we know that we will be in the presence of the Lord with no more uncertainty and turmoil for all eternity. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, gave this little illustration. He said, suppose a man was going to New York he found out that he had become, he, he'd been an heir to a vast fortune. And so he gets in his carriage and he begins to make his way to New York to collect 
his inheritance. and All of his problems will be solved. Everything, he will have no wants, no needs. I mean, life will be good. And he rides in his, in his carriage toward the city, thinking and imagining uh, how, uh, how it will be. And, and a mile before he gets to the city, his chariot breaks down, his wheel falls off. His carriage wheel falls off. And he gets out of the carriage and he looks at his wheel and he says, Oh no, what's going to happen? I've lost the wheel on my carriage. I can't believe this. He kicks the carriage wheel and he begins to walk and just he just gets in a funk. He can't believe that all of his bad luck and all of the things that are happening to him. And we think, what a fool, right? What a fool. You're a mile from the city. It's a walk to endless wealth. And that's our life. That last mile is your whole life. So you're walking, your carriage may be broken down, your wheel may have fallen off, but you're a mile from your eternal destiny that God has already predetermined before all time as your end in Christ. Why, why would we complain and fear and fret and worry and grow anxious? What fools we are. Friends, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Be still and know that the Lord is God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen? Father, we pray that you would strengthen and encourage all who are yours with your character, with your purposes, and with your presence. We pray now especially for those whose lives are uh, have been turned upside down by various things. We pray that they, you would enable them to find renewed communion with you in prayer and in the Word, that they, their fellowship with you would be deepened, that they would drink of the springs of the water of life, and that you would sustain us in the midst of the turmoil Though the mountains be cast into the sea and the waters roar and the ground shakes, Lord, we don't know what the future holds in the short term, but we know what it holds in the long term. So please sustain us. Give us such a peace that passes understanding that we would be inappropriately joyful that the world may see and behold your greatness and your goodness, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.